You're listening to Podcast on Fire. It's Asian cinema in a podcast. With your hosts, the magnificent trio of Stu, Ken, and Mike. Welcome to Japan on Fire 2. Kaiju, a kaiju special, the major kaiju special. And for part two, we've gathered up uh, the usual trio. Uh, my name is Kenneth Bolson, and the second part of the trio is Stuart Savalot. Hello. And the third part of the trio, but uh, not least, or last, is the best. We like him the most, I guess. Uh, Mike Banner. <laughs> uh... Let's go. He since man hung over the me. He's, he's doing his best uh, kaiju uh, kaiju sound. Uh, ka- sound. And after some, you know, uh, uh, effects work, uh, p- post-production effects, we're going to have a majorly scary, scary kaiju sound. <laughs> uh, um, what kind right. of snot monster? Yeah. yeah, there you go. They had a smog monster, so it's slightly on its way to snot monster. And, and uh, as you will hear if you listen to our, our guests on the show, which by the way will be the same lineup as last time, we'll have Ryan Kirby, Roland Strong, August Ragoni, and John Krang on the show as well. But for this show, uh, there's no elaborate setup or anything, we just launch right into the second movie we've chosen to discuss um, uh, when speaking of this uh, genre, and it's 19, the 1966 movie Dai Majin. And the plot for this one is about the god Majin, who comes in the form of a giant stone statue, comes to life to protect the residents of a small town against the depredations of an evil warlord. And this is said in uh, ancient Japan, feudal Japan, or whatever, or what have you. And a uh, little bit of production background this was made by the Daiei Motion Picture Company. And one of their long lasting contributions to the kaiju genre is uh, the character of Gamera, or the kaiju of Gamera, a giant flying turtle which uh, surfaced in the 60s and also later in the 90s in a uh, quite a tree of uh, wonderful, uh, wonderful movies and widely acclaimed movies. Uh, Gamera, Guardian of the Universe was one of those. Um, Daimajin was actually made into a trilogy um, the same year. They, they, they shot these three movies at the same time. And they were, uh, again, Daimajin, Return of Daimajin and Wrath of Daimajin. And they were only released uh, months apart. So uh, the producer of the Gamera film, uh, he, he was in production on the second one, which was called War of the Monsters. Uh, the producer Masaichi Nagata, he developed the idea of combining a historical period, historical drama with elements of the monster movie genre. And uh, there you had something uh, really unique and special. And uh, the director for the first one was uh, Kimi Yoshi Yasuda who has multiple Satoichi movies from the 60s and 70s on his resume, uh, even including episodes of the TV series uh, Satoichi. Uh, uh, other directors then went on to helm the remaining standalone parts in the Daimajin trilogy. I should mention that they are actually standalone movies. You can watch them in any order, actually. Uh, other key personnel on the production is uh, legendary composer Akira Ifukube, who uh, was the composer of uh, the Godzilla score, the classic Godzilla score, am- among other mm-hmm. things. Um, the Daimajin is based on, um, I'm, I'm going to warn you, I might not pronounce this correctly, so r- write me an email if I, 
if I'm wrong. Daimajin uh, <laughs> is based in part on the concept of the Dharmapala or Dharma guardian, which is a figure in the Mahayana tradition of Buddhism that serves as a spiritual protector of sacred mysteries uh, and the Sangha or community of believers. And uh, this spiritual protector often take on fearsome attributes when their wrath is provoked. And uh, other attributes of Daimajen is uh, known to grow, uh, to come in the form of varied uh, heights. Uh, it isn't that obvious in the movies, but uh, he can cover great distances by transforming himself into a gigantic ball of fire. And he has a massive short sword, which uh, he, he uses at least once in this trilogy. And his enormous stature obviously brings fear to those he uh, those that he faces, uh, which uh, helps when uh, Daimajin has a face that just says utter disgust when he's unleashed. <laughs> and, um, you know, mi mixed in with that hatred in his eyes, that, that just adds to the fear that he instills within his enemies. And um, to, to briefly go over something that will be heard uh, later in the show and later in the solo interview shows, that... Uh, Two of the Daimajin movies were released to U.S. television in 1968 and 1970 by American International Television, renamed uh, the first one to Majin, the Monster of Terror, and the second one, the Return of uh, Giant Majin. I'm thinking, obviously, this is a welcome difference if you're a fan of Keiji and you're kind of getting tired of Godzilla. Mm. So, okay, too many, like, monsters. And now this is sort of like a statue. Like almost, it's just like a giant man in a way. So, mm -hmm. I, for me, when you actually first see it, it's, like, it's a you could have actually mistaken it for Chinese because like, ah, it looks like a big ass terracotta warrior. Yeah, exactly. But mm -hmm, I think what struck me off, what struck me was the fact that it was strange because for the first Daimajin movie, he was hardly there. It was in fact it was based around the townspeople and all the shit that's going on with him. And basically they managed to eventually piss him off. It takes quite a bit for him to finally say no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, they they, they, uh, they, they really, they, these evil warlords, they really, you know, push their luck and their ignorance you know, to, to, a, to a certain limit. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it was good because I, I, I have to admit, I did feel a little disappointed because I was expecting, as I did with uh, Destroyal Monsters, I was expecting full-on monster movie and not Japanese drama with a Keiju cameo. Yeah, I guess you... Yeah, as you said, you're used to a certain thing mm -hmm. and then you get this and it's not the easy to adjust uh, right away on the fly. But, 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 but I hope you saw afterwards what the intent by the filmmakers actually was. You know, there, there was a purpose to uh, not unleashing Daimajin until the very end. Ah, aye, aye. So he could just fucking bestow his wrath upon them. But still, um, it was. It's another thing that you're kind of expecting with a monster movie is the fact that there should be like an opponent. In the way of this, it feels like the, the people, the Japanese, like for all the shit that was going on, they eventually managed to piss off this god and the god came down to punish them. Whereas if you're thinking Keiju, you're thinking, right, there's obviously going to be a very similar statue, but wearing a different style of jacket. 
and he's got to come over, and then them two are going to wrestle. But what, what, I, that's what, what I ex that's what I expect for Keiju. I expect two big monsters slugging it out. Whereas if it was one big monster coming down on the village, yeah. you know, what, what was it therefore you think uh, hard to for yourself to to endure <laughs> to endure the movie until the, those final twenty when when he's unleashed or? No, the, the main story itself is quite interesting, but it just that uh, they kept speaking of Daimajin and I oh know Majin. And there's there's fuck all happening with Majin. It's like it looks like the dude showed up late at the end, but <laughs> that was supposed to be a presence, you know. Aye. Uh, and uh, Aye. they were building them up, obviously. Yeah, I mean, uh, you you have uh, he he doesn't need to materialize to mm -hmm. to to fuck people up, you know. What I mean, <laughs> he he can affect uh, nature uh, by mm -hmm. just you know being in his uh, stone form with that basically <laughs> straight face, stone face. Mm -hmm. You know, but, but uh, when it does come to you know to its uh, centerpiece uh, towards the very end, uh, how was entertainment level for you when 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 he when he is unleashed? Ah, uh, uh, it was cool because you were like, all right now it's kicking off. Like this is where you kind of take a step back and watch that cunt get killed. But I uh, it just kind of looked to the point where. Like, the guy took a lot, because obviously you've seen them, they were trying to do this at an X and like, using the chisel to get, um, you know, just kind of got to the point where, they, like, they chiseled a jig, like, a big cock onto his forehead and said, okay, that's enough, right. <laughs> it's enough you were trying to chop me up, but now I just look silly. You <laughs> bitches are going to pay. And, and uh, there, there is a comeuppance uh, that we won't go into, but uh, based on that chisel, you, you have uh, some sort of, it will return. <laughs> <laughs> if you remember the uh, the, uh, the nailing moment, if you will. Yes. Towards the end of the film. <laughs> but uh, it's a. Uh, this doesn't look like 1966. This movie. No. I mean, again, okay, if you do a period movie, then you obviously are not going to date it. But uh, man, I, I mean, uh, I, I will talk a bit. But man, uh, technically, I think that this is top of the line stuff. I mean, uh, it, it's not rubbery. It's not yeah. a rubber monster fight now. So, uh, but, but but based on you know this movie, the kind of feeling you got from it is it. Uh, do you want to watch the rest of the trilogy? That where each movie stands alone. Um, I'm not putting you on the I'd, spot. I'm doing I, this. No, I think if I just looked into them a little more, see. Like watching the trailers for the next films and see if that piques my interest, but mm, mixed thoughts at the moment. Hmm. Interesting. If I, if I have the ability to rent them, I'd be more than happy to. Yeah, they're certainly not. Um, they're fairly obscure movies in a way that they are released on DVD in America, uh, the original Japanese versions, and there's a budget DVD of the TV versions in, in Panascan. Mm -hmm. uh, and and pe people really knew little. They, they knew f a fair amount of the moves because they they've seen it at some point, and remember the image of Daimajin. But they uh, they didn't really know the name of the movie uh, because you know you you people watching on TV they caught it on TV, but you know they they never really picked up 
what the name of the movie is so they, they sort of are obscure still uh, finally now uh, remastered in in japan so you get a really good look at how how terrific uh, these movies look uh, in, in my opinion i mean it's not uh, it's not shoddy uh, mm -hmm. uh, shoddy filmmaking but i uh, it, is, it is a good film like it is, it is when it, it comes at the end and it they, they do it quite well the way they film it because it's like if you look at it you say like, okay it looks like he's in the distance but he's sitting wrecking everything at his feet so like you're seeing like the town like the big gates that have built up being torn down the bricks coming down and it's just like him in the distance then it's people it's him in the background and the people in the foreground mm -hmm. and you it does like they're basically doing wee camera tricks to make this work rather than shot of Diamogen, then shot of people, then exactly. shot of Diamogen, shot of people. They, they definitely, like, sorted out. Yeah, it's they, a good they point. Had, they I had mean, good techniques to it. Yeah. Because, well, it wasn't the same as, like, the Godzilla thing, but that's the thing, they have to, like, this is at a time where, obviously, Godzilla was about then, so it was in a way that, it's a right let's try and not make the same product as them. Yeah, exactly. Because they're not going to try and do it in a way and say, oh, I just look like another Godzilla movie. They can't do the same thing as Godzilla because they'll just look like, they're, like a Godzilla clone. Mm -hmm. Like the day and all that. It's the same camera tricks. <laughs> same thing. This guy does that to them. And they're, they're, they've basically come up with their own innovative way of doing their own camera tricks and basically making themselves stand out compared to Godzilla. Mm -hmm. Or Toho, should I say. Yeah, exactly. So, Mike, over to you, Daimajin. Um, well, you, I can see why the film would be popular, as it's a proper uh, a proper fantasy film. In uh, many ways, a revenge a revengeous fantasy. Uh, it's kind of it's about normal people, isn't it? The little man. Yep. Is it the regular characters in the film? are all really useless and ineffectual. You know, they all get shit on mm -hmm. in various ways, but they've got absolutely no power to do anything about it. And every time they do try and do something about it, they fail horribly. Which is a little bit annoying. You know, um, watching it, it's, obviously it looks just like a, a samurai kind of action period film. And in that, the kind of you know, you're used to having a proper hero who is actually capable, who can take on like ten guards on his own and give them all a whooping. Uh, but these people can't. Their best bet is to run and hide. And so, the only thing they have left is for a big stone monster to smash the shit out of everyone. Turn to God, basically. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you want about to say it's very kind of uh, Buddhist, isn't it? It's about um, karma. Yes. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you, you do the right thing, and you keep, you know, believing in God, and you know, staying on the good side of Him, you'll be all right. You do bad stuff, then eventually you're going to get squished. <laughs> it's not a subtle message, but I, I kind of like that. But you're 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 spot on. Yeah. So I mean, like I said, they they kind of. It goes against what you'd normally expect to find in a kind of, you know, a uh, samurai period action film, which is, um, I mean, the, the drama was 
quite enjoyable. But, you know, it doesn't go with conventions that, you know, I suppose I was expecting when I was watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a little bit of a problem with uh, the monster himself, imagine. In, a, in in so much as Godzilla, in a way, has a bit of personality about him. Especially when you have, like, the son of Godzilla and stuff. Hmm. You kind of... You're rooting for the monster, for, for Godzilla and Gamera and stuff, to smash the shit out of things. I just found him a bit kind of like... When he does make his big entrance at the end, it's a bit... Meh. Hmm. I would I would prefer it, you know... I don't know, I suppose it wouldn't have been the set. it wouldn't have been the film. And it would have been a monster film, but you know, that the characters who got pooped on for the whole film. They're the ones who should be getting the revenge. That's the more satisfying uh way for it to go. Whereas, you know, he rolls in and just smashes crap up. Um and I just I don't know, I wasn't really feeling I wasn't really feeling the retribution at the end as much as I should have been. Having said that, it was well staged, like Stu said, for the uh, considering it's mid sixties. I thought it was a uh, obviously can't rely on, you know, no such thing as CGI. Um, has one kind of blue screeny type effect. Where he, he goes from stone face to uh, monster face. Yeah, they do with that in uh, in all three moves. It's the same move. Right, with a wave of a hand. Yeah, which is quite cool. But other than that, it's just a case of um, playing with perspective. And uh, what would assume styrofoam painted up. Um, yes, yeah, so I kind of enjoyed it. It was a pretty good film, but. <laughs> Just a little, not as fat satisfied as I should have been with the big smashy smashy ending. Interesting. Uh, in in actuality, you you bring up some interesting uh, uh, subtext to the film that I thought kind of worked. Um, where you know the the way that people only can turn to to God, but what you know at, at what price. You know, because there, there is a moment in the film where, you know, Daimajin doesn't really differentiate between people and people to an extent. Because he's so fed up with, you know, this is probably not the first example of him having to step in or having watched, you know, humans do what they do to each other. So he's pretty much, during one moment in the film, preparing himself to just annihilate everyone. You know, just in case, which uh, which is an interesting uh, little bit of uh, little bit of subtext for me. Well, so it's like a a bunch of squabbling kids, and the dad just comes in and says, "Right, that's it. No trip to the beach for any of you." Exactly. You're all annoying me today. <laughs> which is um, in the third movie. There's um, uh, I won't go into it too much, but uh, there's. Um, there's um, basically deaths of characters you don't expect to die, which is not all Daimajin's fault, but uh, it's uh, it isn't that fair. Uh, this world, you know, it, it, it uh, there are going to be victims, uh, not only evil. 
uh, uh, which uh, to, to put things a little bit in perspective uh, the, the first movie this one and the third I think are the strongest the second one kind of goes on repeat but has some ass-kicking moments but the, the first and third one are they aren't um, you know uh, reruns uh, of each other the third one they uh, changes the perspective a little bit but basically it's from a kid's perspective N uh, n not meaning it's a children's movie it's uh, basically the most proactive characters are, are, are the kids because the adults are are, are prisoners <laughs> of uh, yet another gang of uh, evil warlords I guess so. uh, which was kind of interesting um, yeah go on Mike if you ha have anything else um, not really well I mean it's not exactly the most complex of films in terms of you know story and uh, message like you mentioned oh. It's very straight. You know, you do bad things, you're going to get squished. Yeah. But I suppose it is quite interesting how ineffectual the human characters are. They're kind of quite real. Mm. You know, there isn't... It's like, um, well, one of the characters has to go on, like, this covert mission into the village yeah. to try and get try and get backup. And uh, he fails instantly. Mm. Like, it's almost instantaneous. It's just like, you know... <laughs> he did it. Uh, oh, he's just got a hat on. That's like his disguise. <laughs> That's his great plan. I'm gonna put a hat on, keep my head down, and try and like walk into the village. He's like, well, that's bound to fail, isn't it? It's basically, <laughs> that's entertaining, but also, you know, maybe that's like they're just so stepped on that they can't come up with anything, so that they take a chance with the most feeble of tactics. You know, it's, it's kind of sad and funny at the same time to me. Yeah, you know, like I said, I, I quite like that, but like I said as well, it doesn't for for like for the wrench to feel, you know, at its most at the most kind of you know powerful. Mm. You'd want those characters to be getting it rather than Daimajin doing it for them. Mm. Yeah, but for, for for me, that's the kind of depressing point of the entire trilogy and uh, in a good way for me that that you it's kind of a cynical film and a trilogy in that regard that you can't um, you can only rely on on your god but that that's not what you can rely on and should rely on because you have to put forth something yourself uh, character and emotion and effort uh, even, even when even when you're stepped on like, like these people are you know you somewhere along the line you have to find that you have to find your your uh, uh, your way forward, I guess. So, in in a way, it's it's a cynical trilogy because they 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 every time they need to turn to the god. Also, I would have preferred the kind of the baddies. You know the, the uh, well, but yeah, the baddies, the evil doers, to be more evil. <laughs> They weren't quite evil enough for my liking. Really? <laughs> yeah, I would have preferred a bit more. Take it. Well, I spent fair. It was like 1966. They were quite evil, but just wanted just another layer of evilness. What were you and... expecting? Uh, what did you want? Like uh, rapes and dismemberments of the children's <laughs> children in the village, or? I don't know. Maybe <laughs> maybe urinating on Diamond's face or something. <laughs> utter lack of respect. Like uh, <laughs> you are talking absolute bollocks. <laughs> Nothing's gonna happen to me. Yeah, you never know what they do with the upcoming TV series. 
There's an upcoming TV series. Yeah, it's going to take place in uh, modern times as well. Interesting. Yeah. So there's uh, there's uh, dickheads in the modern era as well that needs uh, needs to be stepped on. <laughs> Well, that's the thing about it, isn't it? There's dickheads in every era, so you know, yeah. Diamondjin can work at any time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I, um, I, I enjoyed it uh, immensely myself, uh, and uh, n my view on it is actually not that far from yours, uh, Mike. Uh, to be honest, I, I found the ultimate ending uh, very satisfying, very you know emotionally, emotionally satisfying on that entertaining uh, entertainment level and uh, on that kaiju level, I guess. So, uh, but uh, it. I like that it changed the following for starters, that uh, it was a serious straight-faced movie in a climate, climate where this genre was, genre was approaching campy fun or being played uh, as suitable for children even. This isn't really, you know, campy fun or suitable for children. Uh, and uh, as you said, Mike, this uh, on-the-nose theme <laughs> Uh, you know instantly what basically the subtext of this film is because it's not even subtext; it's straight on text. You know, <laughs> you can, might as well be writing it on the screen. Message, message, message. <laughs> uh, and, and yeah, uh, it, but it's not distractingly on the nose. Uh, basically, what will power, hunger, and no devotion towards God get you in life? crushed <laughs> you know you'll get crushed <laughs> you will get crushed <laughs> and um uh it's not that deep in terms of characters it's, it's sufficient you know you, you have the good-natured characters and ill-fated characters it's it's sufficient it works for the structure that it has but i like the character of the priestess who knows exactly what will happen if they don't worship and perform rituals for daimajin and and the opening earthquake is proof she knows of the god threatening to unleash itself because they, they need to be really devoted even when they're not doing really bad things you know the, the common man they they need to be fairly devoted to god which is again a little darker darker subtext to the film uh that you can discuss if you like i'm not really apt at discussing religion and stuff like that but uh i thought, thought that was interesting but uh, um then you get, of course, the evil evil camp, who's only uh, has few goals in life: murder in order to get power, owning domain, enslave people, oppress. Only priority. But uh, the thing is, the village that they take over—it's not like it seems like if they take it over, they will have the ultimate uh, ultimate uh, advantage in this world, you know. <laughs> so it seems rather feeble that they they. they they have like 99 more villages to take over before they can, you know, be mildly powerful. You know what I mean? <laughs> it seemed that way to me uh, because it's not like, uh, yeah, uh, which was kind of interesting. And uh, uh, and I I liked the atmosphere, the build up to uh, to when uh, Daimajin is released, and uh, uh, because it, it's talked off and it's it's shot in a manner that is very uh, very. Um, atmospheric to me you know it may merely take you know smoking up the sets but it kind of works because i like that as Stu said that terracotta warrior uh, figure <laughs> and, and also that the face the the mouth that it has is just completely neutral in a way you know yeah it looks kind of innocent and you know retarded even <laughs> what's that gonna do to us <laughs> 
but, <laughs> but no. <laughs> and th that's probably what the bad guys are thinking inside. Like, uh, and, and yeah, they, they, they are definitely doing that based on what they are, uh, the henchmen are ordered to do to the Daimajin. Just, you know, put a chisel in it and just smash it to pieces. Nothing will happen. Um, and uh, I, I, I like the presence of Majin. Presence of Majin uh, can uh, can even be felt in the in the woods uh, leading up to his location. That there's a spooky sequence that is uh, really unique for the trilogy. That basically that there's ghosts um, in the woods, uh, which is a sign of you know you know Daimajin uh, can conjure up. Uh, anything basically uh, and come in any, any shape or form uh, in, in in the third movie his uh, uh, his messenger is a bird uh, but it also seemed like it's very much part of him you know so, so it's a small part of him that's materialized in a bird a hawk mm. uh, which is kind of interesting as well and uh, uh, special effects obviously that, that that blew me away to be honest even in remastered form it, it, do, it doesn't uh, uh, it doesn't reveal uh, a lot of uh, ni 1960s high-tech stuff that looks bad today. You know, there's only like two or three uh, rear blue screen shots or rear screen projection or whatever it is th that you notice, but they're not very noticeable at all because the uh, the the perspective is right, as you you, you two discussed it, and uh, they also can do uh, things in the same shot by using that perspective technique uh, because the Daimajin is not that big it's not that big of a, of a, of a kaiju so, yeah. so so they can have uh, actor Riki Hashimoto uh, quite a bit on, 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 on set uh, and in the costume and as will be mentioned a lot during this podcast but uh, I, I'll mention it to you because you may, may not know that uh, Riki Hashimoto is in Fist of Fury he's the uh, final guy that Bruce Lee battles uh, uh, at the end uh, uh, the guy he kicks out of the uh, Japanese uh, house uh, that attacks him with the sword and Bruce right. Lee uh, does that kick uh, but the fall is Jackie uh, but uh, Riki Hashimoto is the actor playing one of the slimy slimy Japanese evildoers in that that's, pretty, that's pretty cool Yeah, and uh, he had uh, he had distinctive eyes uh, that's why he got the part of Daimajin uh, they, they, he had his eyes had a reputation basically they're very intense and uh and, and daimajin's eyes is key for for the character when uh when you know when uh, when you see the face basically so mm -hmm. um and um the, the standout moment for me uh, because i love the way daimajin uh, can control his environment control nature uh, i love the moment towards the end or during the finale that uh they, they've they've set uh, like a fire to, uh, to to the door or like a rubble uh, pile of uh, rubble, so they think Daimajin won't be able to get through fire. And uh, because he stops, and the bad guy's like, "Yay, we did it!" <laughs> and then Daimajin just sweeps his hand, and the fire disappears. <laughs> it's like, oh no 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 no! It is a perfectly timed moment. Because you you don't know as a viewer if uh, if that is in fact a weakness. It sounds like a lame weakness because it's made of fucking stone. But you know, it's like ah maybe no no. <laughs> it is fun watching their feeble attempts to uh, stop him. Yeah, S shooting arrows at him. Good good choice. Or guns even. 
I think they have guns in one of the movies, if not this one. Is it? Uh, yeah, they have guns in it, yeah. See, this is the way God should be. This is my kind of God. All this faith nonsense. You know, Diamogen rolls up. He is actually there. He does something, you know, proactive. Fuck some, uh, fuck some shit up. You know, if you're one of the, the, the villagers who've watched that, you'd be like, yeah, I believe in God now. <laughs> that, that's pretty definitive proof. Yeah. I'll be uh, praying every day, I think, and living a good life because I don't want to get squished by a massive stone monster man. Which is always Neo, also. Because it's his... Uh, um, well, well in, in the third movie, they have to take like a three or four day uh, hike to get to him, but, you know, it's not like he's... Uh, is uh, not present because he is, you know, the mountain of Majin, uh, and, and the st statue is always there. So you, you know. <laughs> <coughs> so the 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 the, the ultimate question, I guess, <laughs> like, uh, would you be interested in watching the other two movies uh, now that you've seen the first one? Uh, are you curious at all? Uh, yeah, probably give them a go. Well, what I'm interested in as well is so they made all three at the same time. Uh, apparently, or yeah. Was because I mean, either. You assume either it was incredibly cheap to make, so they thought they might as well just do three, or the producers were like incredibly confident this was going to be a big success. Good, good question. And uh, it's, why, it's why knock out three at the same time? Yeah, I think it's either or. No one has really spoken about it because I've never, I, I, I never thought of asking it. But it's a very good question, and uh, uh, I don't know how much you know plus money they had on their accounts after Gamera. Uh, uh, because I don't have the box office numbers for that, but uh, uh, it's either or. It's a very interesting question. Um, and it did, I haven't even seen the box office uh, for Daimajin, but uh, one fact is uh, true though, that they, they never made one again. Uh, interesting. Yeah, and then when the movies, he might have appeared in some shape or form, I don't know, in a uh, variation of him or in certain TV shows of. Um, um, uh, but on his own TV show, as far as I know, and uh, it's not like until this currently in production TV series that uh, we'll get the reemergence of uh, Daimajin. And, and it, it might have been a flop, therefore, because it, certain things became it becomes really, really famous, but aren't necessarily, you know, uh, uh, big uh, box office uh, uh, successes. You know what I mean? It's more. Uh, it's a it's a trilogy that's uh, maybe more respected and uh, and popular, but not uh, but were not at that time were, were not able to draw in people. Yeah, well, I would imagine three is pushing the uh, pushing the uh, format a little bit as well. Yeah, they they really didn't vary it up. Three stands out because it has, uh, you know, as I said, it's from the perspective of kids, and it has a bit more emotion attached to it. And it kicks ass. I'm gonna reveal a slight thing, but it kicks ass. That is mostly set in snow. And, and you have like snow falling on the you know uh, the stone character of Daimajin, which looks really cool. Um, so so it's a um, you have different uh, different seasons at least between two movies. The second one was not distinctive in that regard. It has a wonderful god, really godlike moment where he basically like Moses, you know, splits the sea, you know, <laughs> and walks <laughs> uh, walks between those. Um, uh, of dry land there between the sea, which is a really cool effect. It's probably the, the effect that looks the worst in a way, but it, you know, he didn't really just do that. Oh, by the way, he's God, he can do that. 
Still, he's not as scary as a George Foreman grill monster would be. I haven't seen one yet, so I've yet to make up my mind in that regard. You don't want to see it, can you cheat your pants? <laughs> Probably true. <laughs> Probably true. It's so out of left field and so scary that you just instantly... <laughs> it just drains the fat. It just yeah. drains the fat. Just run away. And now I'm drained. <laughs> but not so fat. Okay, next up is our quartet of guests who'll take turn offering up their views on Daimajin. And first up, therefore, uh, we're going the same order, is Brian Kirby. When you move on to Daimajin, I mean, here is... Uh, I've never seen anything like it in terms of seamless special effects. It is... I think the real thing that makes it work is that the scale of the statue isn't that big compared to the other monster movies. And so having it be um, within the realm of, of believable size uh, and the models, there's not that great a difference in size between a real sized building and the models they're building for uh, Daimajin. Uh, you know what I mean? It, there's the scale of the monster in that one really helps. The design, the fact that he's made of stone and is artificial to begin with, right. also helps a lot. And what just a great the, the the cinematography in that movie, the look of that movie is just incredibly awesome. I love that movie. Uh, it was directed by he had done a few Zatoichi. Uh, yeah. Exactly. The best one, actually. I, uh, I, he did um, um, the first one, I believe. The first Zatuichi. Yasuda is his name, right? Uh, I believe so. Uh, what hell's my notes? But uh, yeah, uh, I think you're right. Uh, 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 the yeah, that he did the uh, some of the yeah, my uh, favorite Zat. Uh, Kimuyoshi uh, Yasuda. You're right. Yasuda. He, uh, I know that he did. Uh, the first two Zatoichi movies, which I, I am a huge fan of those Zatoichi movies. I absolutely love them. Uh, every one of them. I just uh, really a huge fan. Um, but, you know, the combining the uh, Chambara, the samurai setting with the giant monsters so perfectly, um, it just has a look. It's got this blue tint to it that, and this bluish gray tint to it that's just awesome to look at. Um, and then, you know, it's it's got this uh, storyline that I have. You ever seen Sancho the Bailiff, the Mizuguchi movie? No, I haven't. No. It's a it's a kind of an art house classic uh, about uh, Sancho the Bailiff is kind of this oppressive. Uh, character who enslaves some people. It's kind of the same story, mm -hmm. but instead of being a re realistic, gut-wrenching, makes-you-want-to-cry movie, at the end of this one, a giant statue just, you know, comes and completely decimates the bad guys in the most satisfying way. <laughs> and it's like, this is what movies are all about. Is that you're getting a retribution and satisfaction from this fantasy that for something that's kind of real that 
is just so satisfying. And uh, it has the, the my favorite crucifixion or impaling yeah. of anyone ever in a movie. Just the best uh, comeuppance uh, I can think of, really. I, it's just so great. And they don't signal that when they put the uh, chisel in his head like 30 minutes ago. Uh, yeah, we, we're, we're, we're spoiling it for everybody, but yeah. it's the it really is the one of the most satisfying uh, villain uh, demises that you'll ever see in a, in a, in a classic movie. Yeah, did you ever see this on, on TV eventually? Uh, because it was only sold to, to TV. I never went into the cinemas as far as I know. Um, you know, they didn't show it. I, 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 if they had shown it, I would have known about it, I think. Right. Um, I, I, I sought this one out uh, myself and uh, bought a bootleg of it uh, in the 80s or uh, early 90s. And I was floored. I was like, this is so good. I don't know how. I've never seen it. it was, I just loved it. It like because it's such a great combination of the two genres, mm. um, the and just the the shots are the composition of the shots are just extraordinary. It's a very great atmosphere um, surrounding the statue. Uh, I mean, uh, from the very early shots and any shots of the statue. Uh, when they put smoke in the sets and uh, oh, the just... fog, the 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 uh, f- flora and fauna mm-hmm. of of you know that kind of storybook uh, looking set design, mm-hmm. um, and then when you have the uh, earthquake kind of scenes yeah. and uh, the uh, you know kind of armies of villains falling between the cracks, disappearing, uh, just a really, really, really great. I mean, it, it, I know, that's yeah. physical effects too that's seamless and uh, uh, it, it's only like a few shots that you expect from 1966 where you can spot that it's uh, uh, composites but but that, that that's so minor in this film it's so so minor and uh, they yeah I, they also built a you can tell they built a, a real size statue for some of the scenes mm-hmm. so that when the you know and instead of being attacked by by cannons, they're attacking it samurai style, and so you get to see actual, real one interaction because they have a stone statue, that is that size on set. Exactly. Uh, and it's it just works. You you completely it's completely sells the whole concept. Um, and then you know when he changes his face is that one, uh, almost dated special effect where it's kind yeah. of wiped. Exactly. But it works so well. If they were making it today, I'd say just do it like that. Because, I mean, it's supernatural. It just works. It's great. And even Love now it. that it's remastered, I, I bought the Japanese DVDs uh, that is released by Daya Video. So it comes straight from the source, I guess, in a way. And it, it, even remastered, it's it, it's seamless. Uh, um, and me, that's not really a video technical, knowledgeable person geek. When yeah. I saw comparisons to the Blu-ray that was released in Japan, also, I for, that was the first time I was, I was ever floored by high definition, and, and it's still a 1966 movie. It's uh, so wonderful to see these these I, I, seeing any of these uh, movies, especially these 60s movies, which are so colorful, getting a remastering. It's 
and seeing the the technical level that they were working on preserved absolutely great like i i can't say enough about these new uh, uh that new mothra where you you know it has all the flaws but the it just looks so wonderful right or you know even like when they remastered the bond films and you see dr no looking like you know they used uh, a modern camera to capture this in the 60s mm. uh you know look where you can say wow i can see the makeup they used to blot out sean connery's tattoos for the first time <laughs> yeah. but to see a movie that you know 40 years plus years old look like that is you know a, a total treat and the daimajin and uh these classic media godzillas and the uh the new mothra and h-man i haven't watched uh, uh the new uh battle in outer space yet but i'm assuming that it's going to be just wonderful to look at because of the color you know saturated colors that have been missing from prints for 40 years it's just great and you 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 notice exactly that when you watch the television version of Majin Majin the Monster of Terror, which I just wanted to see because of the dubbing really and listen for once because I didn't watch the movie very closely because I, I it is full screen and it really ruins the the visual uh, presentation. But the dubbing you know is spot on, good performances, uh, lip sync perfect, and uh, just fits the movie. It uh, got a deserved. English uh, dub, and uh, no wonder it uh, achieved a sort of a cult status on via television showings. But no, few people seem to know what the movie was called. Yeah, I it really didn't have any. I mean, I I have never heard of it being on television uh, in the United States. Uh, and if it was, I'm sorry, I missed it because I wish I had seen it years before. Although I, you know, seeing it. Uh, letterboxed uh, a tape made from the laser disc for the first, you know, in the first time was probably the best way to be introduced to it. Yeah, yeah, you would wish and, that they put the English dub on the widescreen prints because the the movie's not actually it's not cut. It's uh, aside from slightly altered credit se- credit sequence opening, it, it's the mm-hmm. same movie. So it's a shame that the DVD in America for the English version is. Uh, they, they made the excuse to make it a retro uh, feeling when watching that DVD. You know, therefore, here we go, full screen video. <laughs> uh, have you have you seen the sequels? I've seen the second one. Uh, it's not as good, but when uh, when you know the climax hits again, they have new wonderful kind of religious ideas about how yeah. how Daimajin. Uh, can affect uh, can affect nature and the elements. Uh, that's really wonderful. So that's one of... where he's kind of parting the water. Exactly, right? exactly. Um, uh, and seeing that in water. Absolutely great. Yeah, wonderful looking movie. Uh, and they're just treading the same ground. I mean, it's like they're remaking the movie almost. Yeah, uh, exactly. From with the three movies, but I mean, it's worth to watch all three just because. The visuals are so cool at the, you know, close of every movie where he finally says, I've had enough of these yeah. oppressive jackasses, I'm going to act. And <laughs> it's not and it's so great. That. I mean, it's actually, yeah, I, that's the depth in the movie. I've had yeah, enough. And, and that's refreshing. I love that. I love that. Movies need to do that sometimes, I think. You know, whereas I said, if you will see Sancho the Bailiff, it has so much in common with uh, 
the Daimachin movie with the, uh, you know, uh, kind of royal prince and princess that have been forced into hiding and, uh, you know, living under a oppressive slave rule and, you know, trying to hide their identity. It's the, it's a very similar type of, of hits kind of the same notes as a, you know, samurai movie. But then, you know, at the end of Santo the Bailiff, you're like left devastated and saying, why doesn't, you know, Tashiro Mufune run into this film and just start chopping people up so that these people can, can, you know, so that I have some sort of, you know, solace in what's happened here, that these people will be punished for all this mayhem that they've caused. But this is that movie. This is all of a sudden at the end of the movie, a statue says, I've had enough. And he just goes and, you know, starts doing unbelievably creative horrible things to the bad guys very slowly and methodically and they can't do a thing about it and it's just it's like one of those you only get it in the movies kind of a uh, uh, fantasy uh, moments exactly yeah, it's kind of fun to realize that uh, he was played by Ricky Hashimoto who was in Fist of Fury uh, had a, really? Uh, yeah, he played. Uh, uh, I don't remember the part of Han now, but it was this uh, mustache, uh, mustache guy, part of the Japanese cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, he, he was in Fist of Fury, so we've seen, we've seen him. His uh, eyes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, it, uh, look, look that at helped. Fist of Fury and look at the eyes and see if you can see. Uh, yeah, I'll try and Fury. spot. That also helps the effects, the fact that there's a real set of eyeballs behind that monster. Exactly. Yeah, it like really a red, helps. Uh, red light bulb or anything like that. The, co- the design of it, I mean, it's so, I mean, it's, it's just a great, really great design to the, to the statue um, in both forms. And it's kind of peaceful sitting, sitting uh, blank stare face and then when it turns into the supernatural uh god uh, on the loose the blue you know onibaba uh <laughs> demon face uh just great can't say enough about it it's just so great do you know uh if the special effects director uh, yoshi yoshi kuroda was at all famous in the industry uh, any uh, I, any connection to I, do not, I i'm not sure i would assume that they, considering the uh proximity and size of that industry that they definitely had worked together yeah. but i don't know enough about it. i've never read anything about uh about him or the dimension uh, effects but there, there I mean, should uh, be something said about them or a small documentary because he, they really achieved something really fun and completely different from anything I've ever seen, really. And also, I mean, you could compare it to, to Dai's other franchise. I mean, this, what I'm hearing when I'm thinking about... Um, uh, Camera? Camera, exactly. That, that Daimajin took a step into something more uh, technically refined uh, special effects wise because it was what it was it seemed like a step up or, or is the gamma movies really well really really well down and refined special effects wise absolutely not uh they they, <laughs> they had a ton of fun they had a great design sense you know with uh, um you know some of the monsters are particularly uh inventive uh where uh, 
I think it's one named Giron that has the big knife as a head, right? Uh, like big blade. And then he shoots a, a shuriken out of his temples. Like, it was. It's just there's some real inventive uh, lunacy going on there. On you know, very underwater on other planets, uh, wherever they you know they decided to go. Yeah. Uh, and there's, I mean, there's great things about the the one movie. Uh, has the women from another planet that want to eat the children's brains. And I remember as a kid being particularly like, wow. And Gamera also bled, which is something that you never saw in uh, the Toho movies. Um, There was a little bit, every once in a while, even though they were kid movies, they'd have a little bit, you know, someone would get something, uh, a leg sliced off and blood would gush out. Usually green blood, um, but for the most part, they weren't. I mean, nowhere near like Dimension. It's just they weren't directed with nearly the same eye, you know. Kind of makes sense to bring in uh, someone from the Satoichi franchise, maybe that uh, you know I, I had an eye for the for Chambara and therefore could definitely uh, co- combine with the special effects direction. Therefore, you had something completely different than. Uh, there you go, another short-lived franchise. Yeah, but I I read something about very briefly that there, there's a TV series coming out, or had already come yes, out. Yes, there is, and I saw a, a a still photo that seems it seems to be set in present day. Really? <laughs> yeah, which is if they're gonna re- redo something, uh, they might as well do something like that, I guess. Has Jackass is uh, in the present day as well. <laughs> Yeah, they, 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 there's there's a press of jackasses that some some office building somebody's gonna he's, a big stone hand is gonna reach in and pull some banker out and <laughs> do something horrific to him. This is for the economic crisis. <laughs> Your trading has gone on long enough. <laughs> you and, don't and, respect the 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 god Majin. <laughs> and, and and that same evil, um, uh, angry face that you saw like uh, 40, 50 years earlier, exactly that. If they can match the design of that, bring it to the present day. Uh... Yeah, well, they've been hiding the design. You've only seen the, the one picture that I've seen. I mean, this this was 10 minutes of my life where I said, oh, there's a Dune Dijamajin movie, and I saw the photo. They're hiding the actual... They're showing that the, it's a modern setting and he's coming around the side of a building but all you see is part of his arm and his leg right. smart <laughs> you know so they they know what they're doing with yeah. for their for their specific type of fan i think is that they do you know if that's still you know done by die die are they still in circulation producing stuff i i you know die well die is part of toho now right um so but i don't know how i really don't know how they work things now between right. the you know what what retains uh the identity of of you know one to the other so next up is uh, film encyclopedia ronald l strong you you can speak of titra when speaking of daimajin as well yes the uh the giant statue uh, mm-hmm. movie that we spoke of but uh, again your your general thoughts uh, on on daimajin 
the problem with Diomagen is that it was released here directly to television. It mm-hmm. did not get, you know, American International uh, packaged that with their, you know, TV releases. So it didn't get any theatrical play here, which is really disappointing because I thought it, you know, it could have been remarkably well, you know, but, you know, that notwithstanding. But it's like it was the complete antith- you know, antithesis of everything that we'd seen before in kaiju films because it really wasn't a kaiju film oh yeah i mean they they were uh to me that was my that was my first indoctrination to into the samurai genre oh and and so that it's like and it's like oh my gosh you know it's like i mean there's this all of this drama and intrigue and the creature doesn't appear until the last 10 15 minutes of the film you know so you know it's like you're waiting for this appearance of this you know this deity and it's like, and your anticipation is just constantly building up. And when he finally comes, it's like, oh my gosh, you know. And everything about those films is just, there's, there's a majesty to them. And just, I mean, you know, I mean, the melodrama and that turmoil that's going on in them mm. is just remarkable. And the visuals are just absolutely stunning. Just absolutely stunting. I mean, it's like uh, uh, Kuro, uh, uh, Yoshiyuki... Kuroda uh, just did some absolutely remarkable work in that thing, in the uh, in the first in the first sequel, uh, which has also gone by you know the alternate title uh, Return of Majin. Yeah. Uh, he recre- he recreates the parting of the Red Sea. You know? Oh yeah, and, and it's just like oh my god, you know, it, it's just like the the, the the sequel sort of is along the same lines of the first movie, but when 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 he awakens and they show that sequence, that was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That that deserved widescreen as well, which uh, was oh, yeah. uh, was fortunately the way I watched it. But wow, they didn't just no, oh yeah, I mean, oh yeah, they did. I mean, I mean that was what was so unique about those films. It's like again, you know, it's what we talked about much earlier. It's like you know, again, we had this whole cultural thing coming in because uh, as far as American television, that's the first we had ever seen of of that that era of japan and 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 mixing it with this you know this supernatural and spiritual and you know giant monster aspect is like it worked to such an extent that you know it's like you know we didn't really know what to make of it but it's like you know we'd always come back to it it's like again it was one of those things that would play for a week at a time you know every night at the same time and you'd always turn it back on wow you know it's just like and come you know just like get absorbed right back up into it again and this is just you know a remarkable experience. But of course, here in the states, we only got those two films. We got the first, you know, the original, and the first sequel. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third one never played here out in L.A. I don't know if it played elsewhere in the U.S., but never played out here in L.A. So I didn't get to see that until it was popped out on DVD recently. And it's like, oh my gosh! <laughs> it, it's uh, it's uh, uh... it's a much more intense film, and there's huh. much more of Majin. At the ending, I mean, you know, it's like battling the soldiers at the, in you know in that snowstorm at the fortress. It's like, uh, oh my gosh! I mean, it's like much more intense. It's I, like, I I never reached the third. Uh, I haven't reached the third movie yet, but uh, okay. Ha- 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 having watched the first two, I mean, I'm hooked. Despite they, they, they yeah. can, for all they want, play the third, play out the third uh, with the same beats as the first two. You know. Yes. Evil, yeah, no, the e- evil jackasses get their comeuppance again. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. But the nice thing about the third one is that it's it's uh, got a much richer thing because it's basically, uh, you know, as if, you, if you're you know familiar with the synopsis, it's basically about these kids that are going off to beg the god mm-hmm. for salvation, and one of them, you know, 
you know, threatens to sacrifice himself for the god to come to their aid. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I mean, since it's dealing with children, it's like, I mean, you know, that's what what was so revolutionary about and probably why I never played US television because it's like kids putting themselves in danger uh-huh. and one of them threatening suicide so it's like well you know this ain't going to play in the in the TV package it's like <laughs> you know, yeah kids will turn this on and they'll get ideas it's like well maybe I should sacrifice myself to god <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's uh, it's uh, it would, uh, I'll sorry, go ahead it wouldn't play very well up oh, in the wow. West, you know <laughs> but uh yeah, no, the, the third film is probably, it's it's remarkably potent, and, and much more so. I think it's the strongest of the three films, because really? it's, it's so so emotionally rich. And it's like, and when Majin comes in for, you know, the comeuppance on the villains, it is probably uh, the longest presentation that Majin has had in any of the films. And the visuals on it, the miniature work and everything, are just so, so remarkable. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just like, I mean, it, it's literally jaw-dropping, literally jaw-dropping. Uh, exactly the feeling I got from the first one. Again, as you described, you had a um, uh, a smaller monster, basically, and therefore you can make uh, you can combine shots a bit more naturally. I guess it just it, it just worked. I mean, I only spotted two well, I- I instances with the rear projection and stuff like that. But <coughs> that even that is so smoothly done, and live action is yeah. combined. It's just well, uh, flawless, in my in my opinion. Well, well, well you know, the thing that that, and this is just you know, it's just an aspect of scale and just simple maths. Yeah. It's like if your scale is is you know, if you're scaling something smaller, you know, if you've got a 50 foot creature or a 50 meter creature, your miniatures are going to be that much smaller. Yeah. You know, and so it's like you don't you can't put that much detail into them. If your creature is smaller. Well, then you're going to be putting that much more detail into your work because you have to because now you have to sell it that much more tighter it's sort of like it's a uh, you know it's uh, it's sort of like if you look at what uh uh what the effects team did with uh the the movie true lies uh the Arnold schwarzenegger film mm-hmm. uh that entire bridge sequence is i guess for lack of a better word using uh peter jackson's terminology that's a bigature <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's that's about uh i the the scale on that miniature is uh, is approximately uh it's about i think they were at uh, 50 percent scale so it was you know six inches for every foot wow <laughs> you know so it's like i mean you look at that that van you know that's going over the cliff that van is five foot long <laughs> so that gives you an idea of how big that bridge was and that the miniature you know the water tank that they're sitting in and everything else i mean the scale on that was just astronomical and that hadn't been done since you know the Lidecker brothers back in the uh, you know in the 30s and 40s when they were doing all of the stuff for you know the different studios and all of those serials for like you know commander cody and rocket man and you know all of those serial films i mean you know that that level of miniature that pretty much went away in american film uh, with george paul you know, and so it really hadn't been done in the states until George Lucas came back, but then, you know, those guys—they yeah. <laughs> just—they they brought it up to a spectacular level. It's like, you know, I, as far as the effects guys, I'm sorry, but it's like, you know, Robert, <laughs> Robert Blaylock and those guys—they're just like brilliant, brilliant filmmakers. In in terms of. Um this was from Daie uh, rather than Toho. So, uh, yeah, w- w- would you say this is a unique production from Daie in terms of? Uh, I wouldn't say. 
Uh, I, I mean, I mean, I mean, in terms of technical achievement, I guess. So. I would say it's, it's as far as technical achievement, not really. Uh, Daya had, you know, they had great resources, and you know, and of course, you know, they had, you know, they'd also borrow, you know, from Toho. I mean, they they got Toho's optical printer for all the effects scenes. So, really? yeah, I mean, you know, the studios worked together on that. So. Uh, you know when they could. Uh, Toei, who was the Maverick, uh, you know, there's, you know, they had their own thing that they bought and never really used it properly. <laughs> you know. Do uh, do we know um, anything about the special effects director on Daimajin, Yoshiyuki Kuroda? Kuroda. Uh, basically, he he went on. He you know he did the effects for those three films, and then he uh, moved on to directing. Uh, he actually did uh, one of the baby. I think he did one of the baby cart films. Uh, right. You know, right. Uh, Uh, I think uh, uh, Baby Cart Goes to Hell. I think he directed the last one in that series. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also did uh, uh, one or I think just one of the Zatoichi films. Mm-hmm. No, wait, no, no. He did the TV series. He did the TV series. Right, okay. That's right. Uh, but he also did uh, you know the TV series Mirror Man. Mirror Man. Uh, he did a couple other films. Uh, not a real you know extensive career. Uh, an earlier film, in 1956, uh, he did the uh, sci-fi film, which was a fearful attack of the flying saucer. Which I think, if memory serves me right, was uh, that was through Shintoho, and I think that was released here as uh, Warning from Space. <laughs> But I think he did the the visual effects on that. So that right. that was one of those films that that you know that had some marvelous, marvelous miniature work on it. Mm. So. I mean, the, the, judging by the work in Daimajin, I mean, this is not oh, yeah. uh, this is not a a poor man's aged superhero no. or anything. This is yeah. remarkable. Uh, yeah, and uh, a whole team, obviously. <laughs> well, he also, you know, his, you know, as a director, he also did the uh, the three uh, uh, yokai monster films. So he also ah, you know, yeah. did spook warfare, spook warfare, and uh, along with ghosts or journey with ghosts. So he did those three films. So it's like. Yeah, he's you know he he had a you know a bit of a career, but it's like there's you know as far as you know breaking it down, he didn't really have uh, anything real extensive. You know, it's like he's more of a workman. It's like I mean, you know, as far as the listings on IMDb, he's pretty limited on that. But I'm I'm certain that there's more out there that hasn't been uncovered yet. Yeah. Uh, again, going back to the, the dubbing, <coughs> I, I I bought just to hear. Uh, how the American reader would imagine, imagine the Monster of Terror would sound like. Uh, I wouldn't like to watch it because it, to to watch it in full screen really compromises a whole lot. But listening yeah. listening to it, uh, just like this Royal Monster, this is spot on, well performed, well synced, yes. and uh, just completely remarkable. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a shame that it's not a widescreen print to go with that dub, be, yeah, be, uh, be, because it's uncut. It's not altered yeah. as far as I know. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, and and it is, it is a remarkable version. Again, you know, we're dealing with Titra, Titra sound. It's like, you know, they were just, uh, they were probably, I mean, they were the dubbing house, you know, for all of the exploitation producers. I mean, they did all of Mario Bava's films. Uh, wow. They they oversaw the dubbing of the uh, the spaghetti westerns that Leone did. Right. Uh, they were you know just a remarkable, remarkable outfit, and you know they just cared and really participated in what they were doing i mean it was just just a slack job i mean there are other dubbing houses out there that just like throw crap out there and you know however it lands yeah (laughs) exactly uh you know but it's like titra it's like i mean they'd go in there and they'd take the script that was written and then they'd doctor it and fix it and just tweak it up uh they'd always get just find the right actors 
for you know for you know the voices for whoever was playing and it's like i mean if you just go back and you just you know look at the work that they did with the astro boy cartoons or gigantor mm -hmm. or you know some of the the early uh, anime stuff that was brought over here it's like i mean just remarkable stuff you know i mean you know peter fernandez i mean you know he worked with trita for almost his entire career right you know and it's just like i mean you know he's just one of the you know the you know the staff there that you know it's like you know, now let's call peter in <laughs> you know you know <laughs> I um, I got the feeling reading reviews of of uh, of Daimajin when it uh, the DVD released from America that the the people that remember it from watching it on TV never really knew the title of the movie. They just remember yeah. it, it. Kind of got that reputation of the giant <laughs> giant yeah. statue movie that we love. Yeah, uh, that was always interesting. Is because. Uh, if I'm, you know, the original American title, uh, you know, the U.S. TV title of uh, Majin or Daimajin was called Majin, the Monster of Terror. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that was the American title. And then, of course, then we had uh, the, the direct sequel, and that was called The Return of Giant Majin. Like I said, the third one never aired here in the U.S. to the best of my knowledge. Mm -hmm. No, no, it's true. It is only released I mean, the two the thing, Yeah, the thing is, is that it did get packaged. I mean, they tried to set it up and all this, but somehow or another, somebody dropped the ball, and so they just they titled it "The Return of Majin." Ah. <laughs> so it's like, and so this just like so, uh, it's interesting. And in, uh, in the packaging of the DVD, they actually have the sequence of the film set up backwards ah. because of that because of that little bit of titling confusion there. Mm. It's like I, I look at it sort of like you know it should have been "The Wrath of Majin" because yeah, that more like that more speaks of what the film is about. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. And what's so interesting is like all three of these films came out the same year. Uh, yeah, exactly. It seems like they must have been shot at the same time with different uh, directors. Uh, uh, yeah, I, as far as I know, uh, that was the case. I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, yeah. As a uh, 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 looking here at IMDb, uh, Kimoyoshi Yasuda did the first one, and I think the effects man did. Yeah, uh, Kazuo Mori did the second, and I think. Our effects man did the third. Right. I, no, no, no. Take that back. Kenji Masumi did the third. That's probably why that's the most intense and violent of that. You know, Masumi. Jesus. Well, they're talk about an underrated director. Yeah, I, I uh, don't remember his credits now, but I remember reading oh, them, and they were impressive when I was well, reading up just, on the you know, movie. He he did almost all of the baby card films and ah. several Zatoichi. So I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. It's like, you know, that's just uh, you know, he's just one of those Japanese filmmakers, like horribly underappreciated and underrecognized. I mean, he just did some of the best uh, Zatoichi films out there. And of course, you know, give him credit. He's like, he did the entire, almost the entire baby cart series, Lone Wolf and Cub. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's like, I mean, it's, it's what every exploitation geek, you know, I, we, we fall down the, you know, it's like, if Mecca was a filmmaker, it would be Kenji Masumi. <laughs> <laughs> We'd all bow to the east towards him. You know, it's like. <laughs> uh, I, I read recently, that there's a Daimajin TV series come out come out out in Japan. Have you heard anything about that? I've I've heard a little bit about it. I've been trying to find footage, have not found any yet, and I am chomping at the bit, waiting to see something, but, something, anything. Because I've heard that there uh, that uh, uh, day I was actually planning on doing a new film based on it, uh -huh. and so I've been waiting to see that. It's like no word yet, uh, you know. What 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 did therefore happen in in the aftermath of these three films? Did 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 Daimajin ever appear in anything TV? Or no, certainly nothing. not film. But oh, 
No, no, never. Uh, it's like the only other time that a uh, the the only next appearance of a uh, deity in uh, any kaiju film that, to my recollection of that, was uh, probably the character King Caesar in Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla. Wow. And that's that's the first and last time since. Wow. Yeah, it's just like, and that's again, that's the only Godzilla film that really brought any sort of you know idea of spirituality or you know supernatural aspect into the series. Mm-hmm. And next up is author August Ragoni. If we move over to Daimajin, uh, that's another movie that has a fantastic dub, obviously. Um, uh, but, but an example that I can't fully enjoy it when when I buy a DVD that's um, that's uh, pan and scanned, that basically mm-hmm. tries to recreate the TV experience. It's retro. Right. It's uh, just an excuse, yeah. basically. It's a real, real shame. But Daimajin, uh, um, for one, something not Toho-related. Okay, we have discussed uh, what Dai brought, but uh, uh, what was your impression of Daimajin when you first saw it? Yeah, I saw that. That was another one. Again, I saw, you know, on television as a, as a child. Uh, during those, those, you know, uh, salad days of lots of monster movies on TV. And, uh, you know, I was, at that point, I had become so focused on Japanese monsters, I became also obsessed with Japanese everything. Mm. The culture, history, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I started, you know, uh, sort of uh, exhausting my local, my school library of all books on Japan, yeah. my local library. <laughs> so, Every frame of that film was intensely interesting to me mm-hmm. uh, because it was, you know, a period film, you know, and this is something that you don't see in the, you know, average kaijuega, obviously, because they're all modern day films. Yeah. And I just thought it was fantastic. And when he came out at the end of the film, it was such a good buildup, I felt. Mm. And uh, even as a child, I was gripped by this film. And 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 when he comes out at the end, it was just so impressive and 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 a bit scary. He was a scary character. Yeah, it's uh, this uh, it's this god character that's fed up with the entire human race. Really, uh, there's a moment in the film where basically he's done done away with uh, with the actual evil, but he kind of thinks to himself, that evil is going to come back. I might as well crush everyone. Right. And I like that. It's not a. Uh, told uh, very uh, explicitly but uh, uh, I like that subtext that it's kind of I know this is going to come back and uh, I yeah. might, and I might as well and yes it did come back because they did two more movies <laughs> right exactly and it's amazing that they got such quality out of those pictures since they were virtually shot all of them back to back and all of them released in the same year in 1966 yeah do, do, was, do, do uh, you think um, were you at all surprised or blown away by the technical quality of Daimajin if speaking of uh, uh, the cinematography and special effects uh, as such or oh yes oh yes I mean from that you time. know they had each Japanese each Japanese studio well at the time as a child you know it's hard to judge by pan and scan but the one thing that you can still retain even though you're missing the composition yeah. is you still uh, are able to at least uh, get an impression of lighting and color. Yep. Um, and I felt that the lighting in that film was just amazing. Even this pan and scan print and watching it, you know, as, you know, whatever, a 10 or 11 or 12 year old. 
um, and I was I was very just kind of impressed, you know. And the music obviously is a, is a very strong element of that film, um, and again another Ifa Kube score. But uh, that film was just very impressive. The effects were shot, you know, with a larger scale of miniature, mm. uh, lots of low angle photography. Um, some not always, you know, not always uh, perfect, but impressive, impressively composed blue screen shots, mm. um, especially with the blood red sky background. Oh, yeah. You know, and even though the matting, the blue screen traveling matting isn't perfect in a couple of shots, that blood red sky just stays in your mind. And with him walking against it, it just stays in your mind. And uh, I think all very that, uh, even if you notice, like, uh, call it ropey effects, just for the sake of the discussion, right. because there's, it's a quality film going on, I think you more often than not, and it's the case of many movies, can forgive, let's say, shortcomings. You know, you, right. you're not instantly taken from a you know, four-star grade to a one-star grade because I spotted the blue screen or rear screen projection there. Because right. You're so immersed in that finale. So, I mean, I, I oh, would right. be surprised if anyone thought at least the finale was dull. Because and, you know, now, right, exactly. Um, you know, and, and, and there's, there's an interesting thing about that is that there's also cultural prejudice, mm-hmm. I think. It, it's sort of subliminal. Or had been subliminal because I would hear again, you know, these continuing uh, prejudices from people. Oh, you like those Japanese monster movies with their hokey effects and this and that. Yeah. And as mentioning this blue screen matte shot in Daimajin, which I'm just pointing out because it is obvious when you're seeing it. There's, you know, you have the black matte line kind of protruding. Yeah. You know, it's not matched perfectly. But with that being said, uh, uh, another film that's only two years was made two years earlier than that, which was considered a world-class film, big-budget film at the time, uh, British-American, American-funded, British-produced, and it was the big hit of 1964, Goldfinger, yeah. the James Bond adventure. In the opening scene with the oil refinery blowing up, yeah. that's a terrible mat. Yeah. That's a terrible com- composite. Everyone has this thing in their mind that, oh, Goldfinger was just lavishly... And a lot of the, the effects in the film you know, that are in there are more consistent. You can see a wire on the Learjet mm. later on in the picture. Yeah. Yeah. And people will point these out about Japanese movies, and usually they're pointing them out from the lesser films like Gappa and the, you know, Extra Matter Space, these films that were made quicker and cheaper than the Godzilla pictures, but... Yeah. You know, they'll point something out. They won't point out. They'll completely be have amnesia for the uh, bad mat and the oil finery blowing up at the beginning of Goldfinger. Mm. But they'll point out the mat in Daimajin just because it's a Japanese picture. Yeah. You know, it's just sort of like, ah, see, I told you these movies are kind of, you know, weak. But Goldfinger, oh, that's a fantastic movie. That's a world-class movie. There's two um, characters on this movie out of the cast and crew that I wondered if you knew anything about, can speak a little about. Uh, I never found out the name of the actress, but the the, the actress playing the priestess Shinobu. 
um, basically the one that knows everything that's gonna happen in the movie knows that Daimajin is going to be really mad and she's treated as uh, by the wrongdoers anyway as this uh, crazy old hag uh, so do, do you know offhand uh, the actress uh, who played Shinobu and um, yeah I believe this is her I had to check the Japanese movie database right uh, and it's uh, Otome O-T-O-M-E yeah and uh, Suki Mia T-S-U-K-I-M-I-Y-A. Okay. Can you see the image of her from the film? This uh, She really looks yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, atmospheric, and the, her death is really atmospheric as well. Uh, you know, she, she makes a yeah, sound. When I was, when I, uh, when I was talking about uh, earlier, when I was talking about the scene in which uh, she... Uh, I was talking about the lighting. Yeah. Some of the lighting being impressive in the photography. I was thinking of that very scene. Yeah. That's the scene that I was yeah. referencing in my mind. But 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 uh, while but while you may be looking and thinking of that, uh, uh, the special effects director. It seems like there's very um, little information on on him, uh, Yo Yoshi Yuki Kuroda. Um, right. Uh, is that so? Is it very little information on this guy? Uh, well, you know, actually, it's like you know he he worked uh, you know at Dia for a few years. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, came up through the ranks, uh, you know, working in in the photography, um, and uh, and what happened with him was he actually moved on to other studios and moved more into uh, uh, directing. Mm -hmm. And in fact, uh, he did direct a lot of television after Dia collapsed. He went and worked for A.G. Subaraya's company, mm. Subaraya Productions and directed uh, uh, episodes of TV series like Mirror Man, which was an Ultraman-type show. Um, he then uh, went and joined Toho through that experience, and he directed one of the... He directed the final of the Tomisaburo Wakayama uh, Lone Wolf and Cub films, right. White Heaven and Hell. Right. And he was the, he was the director of that. Um, he stayed in television. He did a lot of television after that, um, and uh, he retired. He was interviewed uh, not too long ago about his work on Daimajin. He's uh, really old now. I think he's in his 90s now. Really? Um, and uh, he still had recollection about uh, working on Daimajin. Uh, it was a Japanese uh, series of Japanese uh, uh, documentary series on, uh, on uh, Ryusaka Takayama, uh, the sculptor and, and uh, surrealist artist who... Uh, also was a sculptor and, uh, and, uh, and made a lot of the monster suits uh, for, for movies and TV shows as well. And he created the di not only the Daimajin suit, he also created the 1-1 one -one scale prop, right, which is now being housed at uh, the Kyoto Garage Kit Company in, in Osaka. Wow. And uh, they interviewed uh, this series, this documentary series is all about Takayama's career, um, and they did one episode on Daimajin, and they talked to Kuroda, uh, who hasn't given out any interviews in years, really, mm. because he's very elderly, and, and by the video interview, he, he looked very, very frail, Right. you know, at that, that point. So right. it's, um, uh, it's, it's good that they acknowledge him, because it's, um, it's such a stunning piece of technical achievement, even in remastered form, where because I saw the uh, Japanese DVDs of it, uh, I, right. you know, it, it's uh, 
it becomes even better, obviously, the clearer it gets, you know. Even though the effects work is going to be uh, up, for up for criticism, the clearer the image gets, but uh, it, 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 tur it turns itself around in a way, because uh, the movie's so great and uh, the, the work is finally getting the respect it deserves, uh, not right. on a full-screen, uh, grainy, uh, grainy version from TV. Right. And it's just, you know, I'm glad that I'm glad that people have been able to see these pictures the way that they were, you know, uh, intended to be seen. So it's shame, though, but maybe there were some issues behind that, that the American DVD releases of the Japanese versions that they couldn't put at least the dub on the first one. The, because as far as I know, no. the, the dub is uh, it's uncut. They did not uh, right. sh uh, shorten the original movie aside from changing the opening credits uh, ever so slightly to to fit the AIP logo and the new mm -hmm. American credits, but uh, otherwise it's uncut. Yes, it is, and I'm not sure if uh, you know. I, I just think it might have been a decision by uh, ADB Films not to bother trying to get it. Right. You know, I haven't read anything to the contrary where they mm. tried to get it and couldn't use it. Mm. I don't think Dai would have any objections. At that time, it was, they were dealing with... Uh, well, first they dealt with Dai when they put out the VHS and uh, the first DVD package. Mm -hmm. And then they, when they did the remastered editions, um, they did that through uh, the new ownership, which uh, was Katakawa Pictures, mm. which now absorbed Dai. But, uh, you know, I wish they, they could have... Uh, there's the first two films <clears throat> were dubbed by AIP, so yes, you know they they, they could have used that. Uh, there's rumors that the third film was dubbed, but you know nobody's been able to substantiate that. Um, yeah. Yeah, it I could mean, have been a dub yeah. commission by Dai, yeah. as far as we know. Yeah. I'm in the middle of it now, and it, uh, uh, other guests have put forth the theory that it's. Um, Possibly it was way too uh, dark of a film um, uh, because uh, apparently uh, little kids die in this film. The the, the quartet right. of kids, at least one of them dies, and maybe that was too dark for TV at that time. Uh, I, I wouldn't know, but uh, that was one theory based on the little information there is uh, about right. wh uh, why the third movie wasn't dubbed. Yeah, I think you know. I, I probably you know. I would imagine that uh, you know if AIP TV bought it. If they did indeed buy the picture, mm. you know, they uh, they certainly wouldn't have. I don't think they they sat and watched these movies and then like uh, censored them mm -hmm. uh, by by that meaning watching them and going, oh, no one's going to like this because of this scene. Yeah, and, you know, AIP was notorious for like you know recutting films and and doing whatever they wanted with them to make them marketable. Yeah, um, and, of, and of course. You know, with a president like Sam Arkov, uh, who I had the pleasure of meeting in, in, in 1989, and asked him about, uh, you know, he, he was interested in buying the original Godzilla. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, he was beat out by Joseph Levine. And he said, I, I haven't, he goes, I, I never talked to that guy again after that. <laughs> so he and Alex Gordon uh, wanted to use Godzilla as an early AIP pitcher. And, uh, you know, of course, it was bought by Joseph Levine first. They said they went to, Sam Arkoff told me this, that they went to Toho's offices in Los Angeles to try to buy the picture, but uh, Joseph Levine sent someone to Tokyo <laughs> <laughs> to buy it. So they, they beat him, you know, they beat him, they beat him out. And I asked, I, asked, I asked Sam Arkoff, I said, well, if you 
did pick up the original Godzilla, what would you have done with it to make it palatable for American audiences at that time? And he said they pretty much would have done the same thing mm. that they did. Uh, you know, like, uh, you know, use all the special effects stuff, you know, set it in Japan, but put like an American actor in there. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, who are they using at that time? It would have been Mike Connors, you know, it would have been like Touch Connors or, uh, or uh, Richard Denning, mm. you know. And I could see Richard Denning in a Godzilla picture, but uh, he fought the Gill Man, you know, why not? <laughs> um, and other monsters, you know, and other films. But, but uh, anyway, uh, you know, back to the point of the, the Majin. If, if they bought it, the third film, Sam Arkoff wouldn't have wasted that money. <laughs> But so, you know, if, if the third Daimajin was indeed purchased by AIP, they certainly would have released it. Now, yeah. I know that their attitude started changing a little more in the, in, the, in, the, in the 70s because there was a lot of big news that they had picked up uh, the Godzilla vs. Gigan. Mm. But uh, that was announced in several magazines uh, in the United States, like the Monster Times being one of them. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we were all excited. New Godzilla movie, new Godzilla movie, you know, <laughs> and it, nothing ever happened. It didn't come. The movie didn't come. And I remember there was a local uh, horror host that we had in, in San Francisco. Um, and uh, I remember him going, there's a new Godzilla movie coming soon. And this is around the same time period. And they showed up one sheet. And it was Gigan for Godzilla versus Gigan. Wow. And it was not, I've never seen it again since then. Wow. It was a, it just this. It had like Gigan and Godzilla standing on top of a pl like this planet. It was all out of scale, kind of like you know just very uh, uh, artistic, you know, uh, rendition, you know, uh, and uh, abstract, very yeah, abstract, that's... kind of like the Polish posters. And uh, promotional and, uh, anyway. art uh, only for for that one sheet. Uh, never any corresponding scene in the film. Yeah, I've never seen it. And I've never seen it anywhere else. And they, mm. they had it on the one time on the show. I, I could be completely mistaken. You know, I could be completely delusional that I maybe may have seen something else. <laughs> this is like a child watching the show and then seeing this thing and, yeah. you know, and then we're just having this memory, you yeah. know, of that. And, uh, but, uh, you know, that never came through. But, you know, there were different things going on at AIP. There was, you know, during the, the you know, early to mid-70s, a lot of changes. Mm. But, uh but during the 60s, late 60s, if they bought that picture, you know, they certainly would have picked it up. Now, they didn't pick up the, the last Gamera film either mm. from Dai, which was Gamera versus Zigra uh, from 1971. And they were buying all these pictures from Dai around 60, 67 was when they started picking up these pictures. Mm. Uh, and um, and uh, they just never followed up on the third Majin movie or the Gamma vs. Zigra. Never mm. made it. And it looks so good so far. I mean, I've see, seen half an hour of it. Uh, uh, the third uh, Dai Majin movie was look, looks good. It looks like... Because uh, the second movie felt like... Uh, it was good in its own right, but felt a bit like repetition. But this uh, spins the format uh, um, a little bit, it seems. So, so hopefully they can follow up on it. Because I was a bit disappointed with the opening, actually, because it looked uh, the way they show a little bit of the uh, wrath of uh, Daimajin, but only showed his hand and his feet and the red sky and, and nothing else. Right. But, but that, that look for that series kind of ropey. Uh, although I know, knew why they were doing it, uh, st structurally why they wanted to give a little bit at the beginning for once. 
Right. But not a whole lot. <laughs> yeah, I think that, you know, that was pretty much just they wanted to, you know, cut to the, uh, cut to the chase for the, the kids in the audience. Yeah. Um, I think what they were trying to do with the Majin pictures is uh, they were mostly coupled. A couple of them were coupled with the Gamera films. Mm. And I think that they were trying to give something for the adults who brought their kids, you know, to kind of give them something yeah. <laughs> to watch. Um, you know, so I think that was sort of their, you know, a part of their concession uh, to their audience mm. uh, on that film. Um, and, uh, but still, you know, like you said, it has like death. A couple of the other films that I think this, it was the, I think the third Majin movie was released with one of the yokai films. Mm-hmm. That was the double bill. And, uh, and I think they were just trying to get, cause everybody would go see yokai movies, mm. you know, cause that's kind of traditional, you know, summer storytelling, late summer storytelling for the Japanese. So yeah, they were trying to make, keep the kids interested in, in Dai Majin just because he appears at the beginning of the film. Yeah. And finally, it's John Crane's turn to share his views on Daimajin, so enjoy. It's, uh, it's funny learning more about people's different opinions of a movie like Daimajin and, uh, and their perspective on why that movie is so technically, technically accomplished. And uh, someone brought to attention to me that it's, uh, it also has to do a lot with the statue being uh, smaller in scale. It's a statue, but but they they could have Ricky Hashimoto interact with larger sets, basically and destroy larger sets, and therefore get it closer to reality. W- which is probably why I think that movie is flawless in its technical execution when when uh, Daimajin is released during the final twenty minutes. Uh, it's not a guy stomping on little little tiny miniatures with little little tiny humans trying to shoot at him it's it's kind of if it, it makes as well yeah you know there's something about about that about that series definitely you know i liked um kenji masumi's one with the three kids do you remember that one i forgot which one it was because i remember when they released it here on dvd um they messed up the titles right. um, on release and they made a mistake on which was what but it was the one with uh, Kenji Masumi directed. He was the one. He's the guy that directed the the Lone Wolf and Cub series. Yeah, that's right. Uh, three kids movies. I think I'm not familiar with that one, but uh, gonna type it in uh, anyway and see what we see what we can come up with. Kenji Masumi. Was this uh, done before Daimajin or? It was. It was one of the one of the Daimajins, and it was the one where um, it was the three kids trying to get help. Oh yeah, that, that would be the third movie. I haven't seen it, but I heard Ronald and Strong talk about it, uh, and that the third movie was uh, the same, but they had kids at the forefront trying to get help from the god. Yeah, but the thing was, is this. I mean, one of those kids didn't live. <laughs> I mean, usually, usually, because what happened was, what was what was kind of refreshing about it was, you know, those kids, you know, one of those kids didn't live. I mean, he, they were on the way to find, you know, the god for help. And um, when the kids, you know, something happened on their journey there, and the kid never came back. Oh. And, it, and it's kind of a sobering, you know, I mean, if, you know, if Disney ever decided to do a Diamond Chin movie, you know, <laughs> it just, when you see kids in the movie, you go, oh, you know, they're going to live. They're going to be fine. They're, they're gonna get 
nothing's going to happen to them. But, oh, my God, one of them died. Mm. He got swept away from the, in the water, and that was it. That was the end. That was, you didn't see him anymore. You're like, oh, that's kind of a sobering, you know, um, what do you call it, element in the story. Yeah. You know, if you really think about it, it was like, oh, man, you know, that was kind of harsh, but it made the other kids' journey that survived that much more immediate and that much more important. It's also why those series of movies uh, stand out in 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 my relatively uh, slight experience with with kaiju or my reawakening of kaiju. Uh, th- this stands out because it's uh, it's so technically accomplished uh, cinematography, and it looks you know if you combine the samurai movie with the kaiju, then you have something. But it's it's a uh, it, it's more filmmaking uh, than. A lot of the kooky Godzilla ones, which are still great, but 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 this never decided to play play anything for laughs. Uh, no, yeah, it was yeah. relatively simple template, you know. Evil people get their comeuppance, and that's pretty much it. But there's no fun behind that. There's kind of, there's human tragedy on display in the first one, the the way they take over this village and uh, enslave this village. Uh, I think uh, it's kind of distressing, and uh, that. One of the main characters decides that the, the only way she thinks she can reach out to the god is to offer herself uh, as a sacrifice, a human sacrifice, uh, and it, it's kind of it, it's real. Uh, it's real. It, it, it's not fantasy. Well, well, it is fantasy, but you can apply it to some kind of reality, real emotions as well, uh, which is why they, those movies survive uh, as movies and technically, because even well, rem- even even remastered. Those movies look incredible still. I agree. I agree. I mean, and, and you know, it, it, there, it, I mean, no matter how civilized we say we are, mm-hmm. um, there's this part of ourselves where we are helpless people to the elements and certain, certain people or certain things. And, and, it, and it appeals to that helpless side of us, you know, that, that you go, God, you know, all this stuff is happening to them. You know, how can, you know, couldn't we just have somebody just come in and just wipe everybody out Mm. and I think that's what it appeals to I mean to a point you know I mean it's just like it appeals to that why why can't we have that guy there to to get rid of the people that that are really you know destroying what we're doing I mean we're not asking we're we're, it's always the innocent people the soft you know the, the passive person that's doing their own thing mind your own business that ends up getting screwed mm-hmm. and then he ends up saving him at the very end and you always know it it has to go so far <laughs> because the first couple things happen and they go why is this happening to us why is da 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 and then finally when there's no turning back when there's no uh, what do you call um, when you're at the last end of the rope mm. that's when that damage comes in he doesn't come in before that no you know, you say, "Oh, yeah, you, 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 you know, you shouldn't be invading this, this village. Get out!" No, he just to the very last minute. And he can also be a bit pissed about humanity as as a whole, even though he's eradicated evil. He sees yeah. like humanity will go down this this trail again. I might as well wipe them all out. And he has that moment in the first film where he's like done. But no, yeah, I. I think it's best that I keep going because I I know a thing or two about a thing or two about humans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I you know I was one of those people myself. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I wonder. I always wonder if they, why why they didn't do a like a um 
a remake on it or anything like that. I mean, maybe it's just because it's not popular. I don't know. Uh, well, the closest I think we're going to come is now an announced TV series that is set in modern day. Well, oh, really? Which should be uh, kind of cool if they keep doing the same themes. I mean, there's, there was Jackass is back in uh, period Japan, and there's probably been a few more in, in today's modern world. Uh, wow. If they do it properly and not camp it up, I mean... Uh, I'm not saying they will, but I, I hope they stay true to the to the spirit. Having said that, making a TV series a weekly, I presume, and hopefully they they don't have the same structure as all the movies because that would be repetitive. I think. Uh, that's that's what I was. I, I thought about that. I was like, yeah, if they do a TV movie, I mean, a, a TV or a weekly TV, it would yeah, it would get the Okay, all right. You know, what's going to happen? When's he going to come? Oh, he should be uh, mm. the last five minutes of the show. He's going to come. Yeah. Yeah, I hope I hope they change it up. But, yeah, I mean, it's 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 it's, an, it's one of those it's one of those series that's, that, that stands apart from everything else, definitely. Mm. Even the stuff that came out of Daya, I haven't seen Gamera, but it was not like Daya tapped into something hugely improved technically via Gamera, that was still kind of on par with Godzilla and th that's not a bad thing, but this came out and just s s sweeps everyone away with the atmosphere, I mean, all the build-up to towards the 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 awakening of, of the statue, I think, I, I kind of get to shivers when talking about it because you see that faceless statue in the mountain and all the smoke in the sets, it's kind of what's behind that, what's behind that statue, what's the force behind it, and it delivers. And, w and yeah. when you get like the alive aspect to it, because you can see Ricky Hashimoto's eyes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I, I was gonna ask, I'm blind, but yeah, I know, I know. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, those eyes are just, oh my God, you just, you just feel the, the anger and the angst and the, and the fury that this, that this, you know, this person carried for all those centuries. Mm. It's like, oh man. <laughs> and it's also obviously a lot is done in the in the uh, fixed um, look in his face, but you you know that those eyes help a lot. And I, <laughs> it would be fun to sort of see how much you can see of those eyes when watching him in Fist of Fury and playing it side by side with Daimajin to see if there's any resemblance at all, just a minor curiosity. <laughs> uh, the, if you really look at it, there, there are a couple scenes where, where like, a couple scenes where, where he's fighting Bruce, especially him when he gets killed. Yeah. You know, when, he's, when, he, when he gets really pissed off and he jumps up in the air to, you know, to, to meet Bruce, and Bruce throws that jump sidekick at his throat and sends him flying across the... Uh, you know, across across the the Shoji uh, the screen. Yeah, exactly. You know? And now, now yeah. I finally remembered what role he had in Fist of Fury because now I had that image of the the final kick and him running at Bruce with the with the sword, and then and and then Jackie taking the the fall uh, that you see from the outside. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was just like that was an incredible fall, especially when they shot it in slow motion. Yeah. Daimajin versus uh, Rodan, you know, because that would be interesting. yeah, because they, they they have a flying flying one or space Godzilla or whatever. Yeah, that would that would be. I mean, yeah, it would be fun. I mean, I, I, but it's uh, Daimajin Dae, right? Yeah. 
yeah, so, so that probably never happened. Mm. But it kind of would make sense though, because there, Godzilla was at once at once a serious movie. Uh, one of the either Varan or Rodan movies were serious from the beginning. So cut, cut to ten years later, and they would sort of have uh, uh, audiences would know that crazy stuff could be expected, and therefore you could have a Daimajin versus movie, and not and not offend people or fans because they know what to expect now from from the 60s the colorful 60s uh, so uh but we'll see what happens with the tv series what they'll do uh, uh brian, brian kirby told me that uh, they've only showed like a leg or a hand of daimajin in in stills you you haven't seen the final design huh really yeah so uh, yeah I Oh, I, I hope they have a budget. Yeah. <laughs> if you always saw where the hands and the and the feet, I'm like going, oh no, oh no. <laughs> There's <laughs> coming. You know, you use hand and, yeah, hand and feet and just the close up on the eyes, you're in big trouble. Ah, uh, exactly. <laughs> Hopefully, it's not due to that. I agree. Alrighty, uh, competition time. Uh, thanks to Stuart's efforts uh, behind the scene, you can win if you look at the show post this awesome Godzilla T-shirt. Uh, Japan on Fire, Kaiju, the series, it's a good title, have teamed up with Kapow t-shirts to give one lucky listener one of these awesome Godzilla t-shirts, as you'll see on the site. What we want you to come up with is your idea for a, a household Kaiju. Okay, Ju. And uh, what, you say? But listen back to the first show. Uh, it is actually true. Uh, there are household kaijus, but I want you to think of the ultimate kaiju monster made from household items. And Mike Banner's idea is the perfect example. George Foreman Grill Kaiju. Yeah, you're not going to beat that. Uh, Try and get second place, though. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> unfortunately, the hosts are not uh, allowed to enter this competition. Otherwise, that would be an excellent, uh, uh, excellent con um, contribution. But listeners can't uh, provide uh, provide that. Kaiju. Mike is copywriting that one. Or has. Yeah, in fact, if I, if I see any entries about George Foreman Grills or see any uh, IMDB entries about George Foreman Grill Monsters, then somebody's in there here for my lawyers. <coughs> yeah. You'll get to that stuff. Listen to that. Listen to the phlegm. Unless you're George Foreman, of course. Yeah. Then I'll find you <laughs> from your lawyers. So, uh,. Contribute your ideas, post your ideas on our forums, our Facebook, Twitter, and uh, the Twitter account um, uh, will be linked to where you can post this. And uh, you can email us at podcastonfire at googlemail.com and we will announce the winner on a later show. So good luck, people, and uh, try to be as creative as Mike. It's going to be a challenge. I've just thought of the second best KU household monster. Keep it for yourself and uh, and they uh, come up with a secret identity and enter the competition. Good thinking. I'm bike. I'm bike. Bike manner. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I feel ill again. <laughs> Alrighty. Um, so this basically wraps up the uh, second show, but there's more to come. There's a, an additional four shows to come with. Uh, the rest of my chats with uh, Brian Kirby, Ronald Strong, August Ragoni, and uh, John Kreng. So uh, Japan on Fire Kaiju will keep on rolling and that will allow us for some time off, or not. 
uh, more planning behind the scenes maybe but um, uh, this is uh, the conclusion to Japan on Fire 2 unless you gentlemen want to add anything um, yep. I would actually like to thank everyone that sent in like, donations to keep the show online for another year good good thinking thanks very much yep. everybody I'm going to send out a parcel to each and everyone that sent in money soon enough so uh, keep an eye out Michael, cl closing thoughts? Closing words? Um, <laughs> nah, I ain't got any. Alrighty. <laughs> okay, I've been your host for Japan Fight 2, Kenneth Olson, and with me was... Stuart Sutherland. And... <coughs> Thanks very much. And um, the, um, I think we can move on to the actual views on the film. Uh, so we'll go in the same order again. So let's do it. Okay. Right. Um, so I, um, I uh, when watching it originally, I oh, fuck off. <laughs> um, 